Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Awesome. So we've been preaching on faith. I believe Brian preached an awesome message last week. And um, we're doing a series on faith. And today I want to talk about the journey of faith, or faith that lasts a lifetime and beyond. And so if you've got a Bible, look at Hebrews 11. It's a well-known passage on faith. In fact, the whole chapter is about faith. We're going to read the first 16 verses from the NLT, the New Living Translation. And thanks uh, to those who have been praying this week and fasting, three days of prayer and fasting. And... um, and we had some great prayer meetings here uh, in the evening. So that's great work for those who've been praying. And let's keep praying as we just did throughout the whole summer, Christmas season for our families and people to consider who Jesus really is. So um, oh, here we are. It's up on the, uh, on the screens as well. Faith. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Though Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. That's a quote from the Old Testament, if you look back in the book of Genesis. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Well, that's worth learning More about faith then, isn't it? Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him or diligently seek him, your translation might say. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat, an ark, to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. And go to another land that God had given him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. 
And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Wow, that's a great passage. And of course, it goes on and talks about other people of old, people from the Old Testament who were heroes of faith or um, a cloud of witnesses. The next chapter refers to them, looking back at all this list of people. But I want you to think with me today about faith that is going to last right throughout your life. Faith that you can live by for the long term. Just like these people here, people who have long gone, but while they were here on earth, they determined to live their whole life by faith in God. And their faith, it says there, still speaks to us today. And so now it's our turn and we'll be gone one day. And the question, of course, is what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? Are you going to be just another person who lived for themselves, who lived for today, just lived for the now, lived by sight rather than faith, as the Bible says, who just lived for whatever happiness you could find on earth? Or will you have a life by faith that has a long-term perspective? Will you have lived a life of faith that speaks to future generations, that uh, was lived with this perspective of heaven, with an eye on the bigger picture, and in doing so, then going down in God's history books as a faithful follower of Jesus, all the way, right through to heaven, right through to eternity. And so let's just look at this passage and learn one or two things. First verse, obviously this is this famous classic definition of faith. It's a certainty that something will happen, an assurance beyond just hope. Faith says, I just, I don't, don't just hope it's going to happen, I know it's going to happen. And some translations say it's the substance of things hoped for. Evidence that is not yet seen. So substance in, in the physical realm, we understand. There's a substance of paper. We can hold that, feel it, know it. I experience it. Well, of course, faith is a substance that I can hold and know and experience in the spirit. It's just as real. It's just not in the physical realm. And, um, and it's evidence of something that you haven't yet got or seen in the physical realm. I think the Amplified Bible says it's a title deed, which, you know, if you... Uh, hard-working and fortunate enough to have paid off your mortgage, no doubt you've proudly gone down to the bank and said, I'll finally have that, thank you. It's the title deed for my home. And that's proof that you own your home. And you can go and show it to your friends and you aren't showing them the physical home, but they know what it means. You can say, hello, paid off the mortgage. There it is. I own my home. And you're just showing them a piece of paper. But it's a special one, a title deed. It represents something that is in the physical realm somewhere else. And so faith is something that we can have knowing that it's going to change the physical circumstances that we're in, even if it hasn't yet happened. And, of course, this has been demonstrated in the lives of these people uh, that it refers to here, the Old Testament folk who, uh, you know, they were living by faith because they saw things in the spirit or they believed God's promise or they followed where God was leading them before they could see physical evidence of it. And then things changed after God's command or God's promise. Uh, they responded with faith and then it says they, they earned a good reputation. They followed him. And interesting that phrase, uh, is that verse, look at that up, where is that? Verse 3 or verse 2? They, verse 2 perhaps, uh, that they got a, look, the people earned a good reputation through their faith. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? 
in whose eyes am I earning a good reputation? Or who do I care about who cares about what I'm doing? You know, there's different ways to get a reputation. Uh, and it's very tempting to just try and earn a good reputation in the eyes of people. But of course, we need to be thinking, what about in God's sight? Is, is, that's really the reputation I should be thinking about. Um, and of course, usually that means you'll have a good reputation with people if you have a good reputation with God, but not always because people are fickle and people might misunderstand you. And when you read the Old Testament, you see some very godly people. Some of the prophets were earning a good reputation before God, but people weren't happy with them. You read about the life of Jeremiah or people like that. In fact, one person in the Bible really didn't seem to please everyone. His name was Jesus. And some people didn't like the reputation he was putting out for them in their eyes. But, and of course they crucified him. Uh, so the question is, wow, uh, who am I worried about what they think of me? Where am I, you know, earning my reputation? What, am I pleasing people or am I pleasing God? And then, um, and then look at verse three. This is an interesting statement. It says, uh, by faith we understand that the whole universe was created by God or formed at his command, just from his words. And so we weren't back there. We weren't back, you know, when that happened. And scientists can hypothesize and study stuff and figure this out. and all. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a faith element to say, yeah, I understand that by faith. And notice it's still understanding. It's not all in my mind, but there's an understanding in my spirit. So this is not to say that we're not intelligent or don't appreciate an intellectual approach to life and rational thought, but there comes a time when there's something you might not understand with your mind. I mean, I don't understand how you can get a whole hundreds of tons of metal up in the air and move around above the ground and then land it safely. But I get on aeroplanes and I trust complete strangers to kind of get me up there and down and they do a good job of it. You know, and in fact, as a kid, I made the mistake of trying to understand that because my father was a pilot, a very good pilot, Air Force pilot, and then worked for the Department of Aviation as a you know test pilot and had a great career in aviation and loves physics and science. And so I can remember as a kid once or twice making the mistake of saying, hey, Dad, how do, you know, how do aeroplanes work? What's all this aerodynamics? And of course, he'd, his eyes would light up. And my kids know this danger too because they grew up learning be careful be careful if you ask a scientific question because you're going to get a good long detailed explanation and so he'd launch into all the you know um details and the the theory of oh you know just the whole aerodynamic stuff i i was looking at it the other day thinking what what is it all about i tried to understand it even as an adult and i couldn't get it i I looked up you know aerodynamics and newton's third law and of course he'd say and of course newton's thought you know newton's thought and i go oh yeah but then he'd see that i really have no idea so then he'd have to explain you know newton's third law and he'd talk about lift and you know, the perpendicular force of the flow direction that controls this and the drag quotient and, oh, please. Anyway, my brother's got most of the scientific brains and, um, and so maybe you don't need faith to understand aerodynamics and, uh, and that's great. But I bet there's something that you don't understand, but you can still understand it, if you hear what I'm saying, in the spirit. By faith, you can understand. There'll be some area that your limited brain, 
you know, you could be an intellectual giant, that's fantastic, but there's still going to be a limit because of the mere nature of being human. You're not perfect, as we heard earlier, and that includes in your mind. And so we can still understand by faith, which is a comfort and a good uh, kind of approach to life, that you, you don't have to have something that is so frazzled and... and, and uh, and complex or, or it doesn't have to be upsetting if you don't fully intellectually understand something because you can then go into a faith realm. And, um, of course, sometimes the problem is human pride that doesn't want to admit when we don't understand something intellectually. And so uh, uh, we, we put our faith in something and sometimes we might not be putting our faith in God. We'll be just putting our faith in what we understand, but that understanding might be limited. We put our faith in our preconceived ideas, our, our hypotheses. So this is sometimes the problem in the scientific and you know, medical communities. And I read a fascinating example of that where sometimes you get experts or so-called experts and they think we've just got a monopoly on all the knowledge in this area. You know, and you read sometimes and think, really? You think you know it all? You know? And I, uh, I read this fascinating book called The Psychopath Test. Now, disturbingly, I found it on our shared Kindle uh, account because I didn't order the book, but Ruth had obviously ordered the book. I say disturbingly because I figured she's thinking, all right, I really, after nearly 30 years of marriage, I've got to confirm my suspicions about this guy, you know, and I don't know why, but anyway, I think I passed the test. But Caleb, we're a bit worried about you. Um, but anyway, this guy wrote a fascinating book and he, he talks about all the different um, theories of, you know, human behaviour and how people can be diagnosed. And some of the problem is how they go about diagnosing uh, not just sociopaths or psychopaths, but any psychological disorder. And, um, and this is a real classic example of the power of expectation or presupposition or faith of what you get what you expect and so he talks about a test years ago that a psychologist did because in the US this guy David Rosenhan um, he had grown tired of what he considered the the pseudoscientific uh, views and understanding that some of these psychoanalysts had he thought they were in this little ivory tower world and they're diagnosing people and just saying you've got this and you've got that and he was saying his argument was that it, it wasn't necessarily based on really good research or uh, completely so, a scientific approach so he devised an experiment to show up this over diagnosing that he felt was going on so he got seven friends and himself none of whom had ever had any psychiatric problems they gave themselves pseudonyms and then all at once they fronted up to a different psychiatric ward uh, in a different hospitals all over the country. And they were each told to go to the duty psychiatrist and to say that they were hearing a voice in their heads that said empty, hollow and thud. And that was the only lie that they were allowed to tell. Beyond that, they had to behave completely normally. All eight of them were immediately admitted and diagnosed as having either schizophrenia or being bipolar, manic depression. And he had expected the experiment would only last a couple of days. He told, his, he told his mum and dad, I'll see you in a couple of days. They didn't let him out for two months. 
even though he acted completely normally and told them that he was fine. The only way out was to agree with the psychiatrist that he and all the others have the same experience, that they were all insane and then pretend to get better. And then he published his report and there was pandemonium because he was accused of trickery. And uh, one hospital challenged him to send some more fakes saying, all right, now we know what you're up to. We, we will spot these fakes next time you send them. So he agreed. And after a month, you can see what's coming. The hospital proudly announced that they'd discovered 41 fakes. Then Rosenhan, of course, revealed that he'd sent no one to the hospital. <laughs> so this time they had 41 people with real problems and said, you're fine, you're a fake, go home. Who knows what they did afterwards? Isn't that fascinating? That's human pride. Now, that's not to say that all psychiatrists and psychologists and medical, you know, people are silly and you never go to a doctor and all that, but a dose of humility in whatever field of endeavour we're in always helps us do a better job, yeah? Because they were living out of their presuppositions, their expectations that people had problems and that they could diagnose them because they were the experts. So that's faith. It, but putting their faith in themselves only. Now, all, we all live with certain expectations assumptions of how things are going to be we we and it affects our life you know how people are going to treat you or how successful you think you're going to be uh how confident you're going to be or not in new situations with new people all based on usually previous experience and often because of what people had said to you about your life about who you are you know in the classic case as a teacher or even sadly a parent might have told a kid, you'll amount to nothing, you're dumb, you're this, you're that. And of course, that child will grow up as an adult, suffer from insecurity and a lack of confidence. And then likewise, you can get a kid who's been told, you're a champion, you're fantastic, God loves you, I love you, you're awesome, you know. And then they're going to be more confident and successful in life because they've got this expectation going on because of the words that they've heard. And they've chosen to believe those words because they came from a voice of authority. Well, we've got a voice of authority called God's Word, that we can attend to, and when we read it, we get to decide whether we believe what he says about us and about the world around us. And so when you read the word, as we heard this morning, we hear that, oh, I'm a sinner. I've got some problems. But that's not all we hear. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's a way forward. It's through the blood of Jesus. And then God says, I love you so much. I've sent my son. You can be forgiven. I can save you from your sin. I'll give you a destiny and a pathway and a purpose in life this is good news and this is up to you whether you're going to believe it or not and doubt of course struggles with that and goes right against faith and says oh no that's 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 not really what it means you can't really get healed you can't really be successful god's not really going to meet all your needs he's not going to really give you a real sense of purpose and destiny and achievement and accomplishment in life you're just always gonna you know well that's just the voice of the enemy and doubt, and it can come from ourselves, it can come from, like I said, other voices that we've heard from in the past. But we have a choice whether we're going to listen to God's word or some other source. And faith is simply believing what God says about you. Of course, children do an awesome job just trusting mum and dad, don't they? They just believe you. You know, like, again, when my dad would go overseas and he'd say, I'll bring you something when I get back. I just knew, yep, bam. He's got these cute little Toblerone chocolates. He always bring back some weird trinket as well from some foreign country. And you just have a confidence and you'd strut around the playground. What are you so happy about? Oh, because my dad's coming back from overseas and he's going to bring me a prezi. 
Oh, yeah, what makes you think that? Because he does, because I trust him, because, you know, and these kids have got a, a, a spring in their step. We should have that same spring in our step because our Heavenly Father loves us and has something good for us and we know that his word is going to be fulfilled. And so that affects the kid's behaviour. He's doing something confidently because of the words that he's heard from his father. And that's exactly what we see here. Faith leads to action. Notice that every one of these people that we just read about in the first 16 verses did something as a result of their faith. By faith, Abel brought an offering. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was taken. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left to his homeland. And you read on, all of them did something by faith. So then the question I think is, well, what am I doing by faith? Not just talking about it, oh, I have my faith, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I believe. Yeah, but what am I doing by faith? How is it affecting my life? How am I living by faith? Do I actually step out and witness to others in faith that the seeds of the gospel and the seeds of grace are coming from what I say and settling in their heart and changing their life? Am I, you know, fretting when my finances are tight or do I continue to trust God and tithe and give and expect his blessing and knowing that he's going to meet all my needs according to his word and his promise? If I got a bad report from the doctor, do I just go to pieces and crumble and go, oh, well, that's it, write my will? It's all over. Or do I press in and pray for God's promises of healing to come and be fulfilled? So, you know, all throughout our life, in all different situations, I can live, I can just live in a comfort zone and and I can choose just to sort of live in the natural. Or I can live by sight, as the Bible says, or I can step out of the boat like Peter did, you know, we say that, step out, step out in faith. In other words, trust God that he will meet me where he's calling me to go somewhere beyond my comfort zone. He's calling me to do something that I can't do completely on my own. Service for him, some ministry, some witnessing to someone or some active stretch or giving in my life, knowing, well, this is faith. I can't do it all by myself, but God's calling me to do something with him. And so that's, that's the walk of faith. And this, and this is the lifestyle that we want to follow for our whole lives, regardless of the results, regardless of what people might say or think, and, and regardless of whether the circumstances turn out to be very favourable. Speaking of which, I just mentioned I was in Vietnam and uh, a couple of the guys, Craig and Scott and Hudson, were with me last year when we met Pastor Vin, wonderful man of God, 63, rides like, Valentino Rossi, oh, with me on the back. I mean, like I just spent the whole week on the back of scooters. It was so much safer last year, guys, being in charge of the machine, you know, riding our own motorbikes around Vietnam. This time you're on the back of someone's scooter and your life is in their hands. And that's okay when there's a young, humble, quiet little Vietnamese person aware, oh, I'm, you know, chauffeuring the, the pastor around town. I better not kill him, you know, and they're cautious. Pastor Vin, he's... Like I said, he's 63, but he's, I don't know, he's just got full of beans. He's full of energy, full of beans, and he's like the Valentino Rossi of Saigon. He's just like, through the, I hit a car, 
my leg hit a car as we went past. I'm thinking, we're going to hit a car. So I got back. That was my leg. We did hit a car. You know, it wasn't just, oh, we're going to. But it feels like we're going to hit a car. But he's a local. He knows what he's doing. It feels like we're really close as if we're going to hit a car. But I guess what? Bang. No, I really hit a car, you know. And the mirror, ping. I pushed the mirror back. You know, he's all around. Anyway, um, he's, he's just a great guy. And, um, you know, he has suffered for his faith. And like some of these guys, he hasn't seen all the fulfillment of the promise of faith. We think sometimes in faith of, oh, great, Lord, name it and claim it. I ask for this, it'll happen. Bang. Just, but did you read what we just read? Some of these people didn't receive everything they were looking for, but they're still following in faith. The faith journey is not all about just gimme, gimme, gimme. It's about following Jesus regardless. And as I said, you meet people like Pastor Vin. So, for example, he was a lecturer of English. And um, in university for 20 years, and overnight he lost his job because they found out he was a Christian. All his long service leave, all his superannuation, all his benefits, all the prestige, all the bank, just finished like that. Out you go. And he tells me that laughing over a bowl of foe. I've had enough foe forever in the last week. And we even went specially to the other side of town to the place where the foe's really good. And it's really just like all the other places. But, you know, for the locals, no, this was the good place. And again, oh, and then after that, he says, because he really wants to bless me, my last night in town. So then after that, he says, I'll show you around town. So we start riding around town. But it's, it's peak hour. We ate early and it's, the traffic's crazy. And this is the sightseeing blessing for me. You know, like, yeah, oh, and look over here and there's the... It's like, yeah, I've seen all the buildings. It's not a big city. So after a while, I'm like, yeah, look, you're busy, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's enough. It's okay. Let's go back. Oh, God, help me. You know. So, uh, but he, you know, he honestly laughs when he tells me that story about, oh, yeah, I lost my job. He says, but now I live by faith. For the last 25 years, I've just pastored my church. He now oversees more than 30 churches all around the country. He had 25 of these pastors come for the seminar that he asked me to speak at. And all of them have got similar stories. And they've all got the joy of the Lord following Jesus in spite of the circumstances being really, really tough. He's been detained dozens of times by the authorities and told to stop preaching. You can't keep planting churches and all that. And he just carries on preaching, pastoring, powering on for Jesus. And he hasn't even got a lot of money, but he, but God meets his needs. Whatever he needs, eventually it sort of comes along. Like like I said, let me let me buy you a suit because the, the Vietnamese is famous for tailor-made suits. He said, oh, no, you don't have to. I said, no, no, I'd like to. I, I got the impression because he only had sort of dark suits and he likes wearing suits. I said, you got a light-coloured suit, a cream suit. You know, no, no, but it's summer and that'd be great. Very noble, you know, yeah. And he said, I know a tailor. Well, his tailor... He hadn't been to for years, so it shows how often he's got the money for a new suit. So he knew a tailor, but he hadn't gone for a long time. But he was very excited, so he gets his suit made, and he said, oh, this is good because my birthday's on the 16th of December. So he said, um, so I'll be telling the church, I'm wearing my birthday suit on the 16th. <laughs> and, I, and his English is excellent. Like I said, he was a lecturer. And I said, Brother Vin, let me give you a tip. You may not want to tell foreigners you're wearing your birthday suit to church. Or, or you may want to tell them. And then I told him what it meant and we laughed. He said, okay, I must remember not to wear my birthday suit. I mean the suit that you got made for me for my birthday. Yes, that's how you have to say it now. And uh, look, just quickly, I, know I met another pastor there who um, every Sunday he's got the police out the front of his church threatening to stop his meetings. 
and they've got a law. Technically, he reckons I'm allowed to meet, but they're trying to intimidate him. And they bashed on the door just before church a few weeks ago. And they had uh, 10 of them that had come in uniform, in a car, which is a big deal because most people just got scooters. It's like, oh, Lord, just They said, we need to talk to you. And, we got to and he said, in Jesus' name, wait, we will have church. And I'll speak to you afterwards. And so he's strong and firm but respectful and he's trying to find the line because they don't want to get thrown in jail and have their whole life and ministry shut down, but they've got to stand up too. And so uh, this is uh, Pastor Nam and he said, um, so, they, he said that, so they stayed outside pacing up and down for the whole time we had church. And then after church, I invited them in for tea. And then they said, no, 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 we don't want tea. But he said, I spoke to them. And then the next Sunday they were there again. They didn't come in, but they just paced up and down the whole time. And they're just trying to intimidate the people. But they're strong. And he says, uh, he's straight. He just said with a smile, he said, but Jesus, this is not my church. It is Jesus' church. And he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I said, yeah, I think I've heard that verse and he's preaching away to me. And, you know, so uh, these guys are champions. And, uh, and it, it, it reminds me of what we read here. Verse 13 again, look at that. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised But they saw it all from a distance. They welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared prepared a city for them. See, so they didn't receive everything that was promised while they're here on earth. So we need a journey of faith that is going to take us beyond this life into eternity, beyond just getting an answer for prayer when I want it. Now, of course, we've got to have both. We've got to have short-term and long-term goals in faith. We believe for things to change. Jesus said, ask and it will be given. So we look for answered prayer and, and we see, you know, measurable change. But at the same time, we've got a long-term faith in God that isn't going to be shaken if for some reason things don't change because sometimes that does happen. Jesus promises to meet our needs, to save us, to bless us. And, and yet as we journey along, you know, sometimes our prayers seemingly are not answered or, or they're just not instantly answered or they're, you know, why are we still got people in hospital? You know, we pray for the sick. But we don't stop praying for the sick just because it doesn't all happen quickly and automatically, Yeah. And so we press in, we persevere. And, uh, and so there's this tension we live with and a, a mature faith can, can hold on to one without letting go of the other. Some people get disappointed. It didn't happen. Oh, faith, yeah, well, I'm still going to be a Christian. I'll go to church. I'll just, you know, have my arms folded, spiritually speaking, before God and just shuttle along and shuffle my way into heaven without any sense of faith. We don't want to do that. We've got to keep pressing in and believing for God's will and God's promises. But, you know, if they're not bringing the change that we would like, we don't allow disappointment or disillusionment and discouragement just to creep in and overwhelm our faith, yeah? We keep going. Because look what happens. If you read on to the end of this chapter, just read with me the last couple of verses in this chapter. Again, it says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. 
For God had something better in mind for them, sorry, for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Well, that's a study there about generations of faith, this wonderful interlink throughout the centuries of God's family where you've got one generation fighting and praying for something that maybe isn't fulfilled and realised until the next generation or some generations to come. That's real long-term faith, isn't it? To live beyond just what you can get out of it, to sow seeds where maybe only your children or your children's children will see the harvest. And so we've got to keep sowing, keep working, keep building, even if the next generation are the ones that benefit from our walk of faith. You hear what I'm saying? And, uh, and let me finish finally with the next two verses flowing from the end of this chapter. It goes straight into chapter 12. But of course, as you know, when they wrote the Bible, this is a letter written without chapters and verses. He's just writing, therefore, the beginning of chapter 12 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by these people, this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, what should we do? Let's read it. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do this? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And so Jesus is our ultimate goal of faith, not just what he can do for us, not just, oh, Jesus, what do they say? We're not just seeking the hand of God, we're seeking the face of God. And not just, oh God, bless me, bless me. I, I see this formula here. I'm going to ask for this and you're going to give it to me. Make it happen, please. It's not a business transaction with God. It's a relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit who walks with us all the way, all the way throughout life, yeah? So he's our ultimate goal and, and exercise of our faith. Amen? And so with that in mind, let's close in prayer and I'm going to invite you to consider your place before God. And whether you know Jesus personally or not, because that's what the Christian life is all about. That's the complete essence of what we're on about, of what what the Bible speaks about, what the whole church is all about, a relationship. We're in the family of God. We're not just in an organized religion. It's not an organization It's an organism. It's the family of God, the body of Christ. Jesus wants to be in our life and for our lives to be in his. And so today, if you're here and you can't say for sure, yeah, I've got a real personal relationship with Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my friend. He's my leader. He's my companion in life. I'm following him. I know him. He speaks to me. I talk to him. That's what it's all about. It's awesome. It's the best relationship you could ever have. I want to invite you to come and pray with me at the end of the service. Or maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus because you've walked with him in the past, but right now you're not so sure how close you are to him. If you were to die tonight, you're not sure that you'd, Go to heaven to be in his presence. If you're not aware that you're walking with him constantly, then you also come and talk to me straight after the service and I'll pray for you. And even if you just got questions about the Christian faith, I'd love to meet you and, and we'll talk more. Father God, we thank you that you, Jesus, you're the author of our faith. You're the initiator of our faith. You give us faith and I pray that you would provide that for us. As we read your word, as we reach out to you, that our faith would grow stronger and sweeter 
so that we'd be stronger in you and sweeter in our relationship with you and with others. Help us, Lord God, to be a people of faith, people who believe, people who are positively trusting in you that all things will work together for good. We're we're in, in thanks, as we heard earlier. We're, we're walking with a sense of thanksgiving to our awesome Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on every life here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.